Hi, Teddy. Hey, Nick. Do you remember the film God's Not Dead? Oh, God. I forgot about that. Welcome to Oh God, I Forgot About That, the podcast where we examine artifacts from turn of the millennium Christian culture. All right, so I know you can't forget this train wreck. But the most important thing for us to say sort of off the bat is this movie is barely in our podcast's purview. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released in 2014, which at least uh, nominally our podcast explores up to uh, 2010. Yeah. Right. Um, we're making an exception for this piece for a few reasons. Before I get into any of that, Teddy, rewatching this glorified YouTube video, what, how does it resonate with what you remembered? It's so much worse. It's truly so much worse. And what's funny is that a lot of the artifacts that we cover in this podcast, I return to and I'm like, yeah, that's about what I remember. Or yeah, that's what I expected. The level of cringe this was now in comparison to when I saw it in 2014 is so much worse. And I don't know if that is a combination of me just spending since then like an entire decade every single day of my life in higher ed. So I'm just so much more aware of what this world is actually like in comparison to how the film portrays it. I don't know if I've just become more critical over the years. No doubt about that, actually. I have no idea. But all I know is that when I saw this, I hosted it at the college I teach at. It was my first year as an adjunct. And I thought it was bad, you know, then. And I like provoke. I did like a conversation with students about it. Now watching it, I'm almost I was sitting there thinking, I'm not even sure this would be worth a conversation with students. Like yeah. it's so, so bad. So you you hinted at one of the reasons that we are making an exception for this film in sort of our our, our podcast scope. Mm-hmm. And that is we are both in academia. We are both educators. We have been in this world for I think it's fair to say for both of us, plural decades. At this mm-hmm. point, yeah, uh, between our undergrad and our teaching and 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 graduate work, all that stuff, and this movie, perhaps better than any other artifact that falls more exactly within our time frame, is so exemplary of the anti-intellectual and anti-academic mindset that mm-hmm. was and is thoroughly entrenched in contemporary evangelicalism do you agree Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's just like great great suspicion of higher education even 10 years ago i mean now if you wanted to make an argument oh there have been shifts in the culture blah 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 this is 10 years ago almost you know this grave suspicion of Mm -hmm. academics intellectuals the system of higher education the whole thing yeah yeah there is simultaneously a very blatant and almost aggressive misunderstanding of how anything works yeah. in academia. Yep. And a very deep and again aggressive mistrust, I guess is the only thing that I can say. Like not mm-hmm. distrust, but but like active and malicious distrust. Yes. In anyone who claims to be an intellectual. Mm-hmm. Right. I I wonder, you know, I don't have anything really concrete to back this up. So this is purely like a speculative hypothesis. But I really do wonder if that's one of the reasons that like Christian uh, intellectuals don't use that phrase to identify themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't identify themselves as academics. They are apologists or they, you know, don't have a master's degree. They have MDivs. Right. Or. Something like, like there's all of this subtle linguistic couching to separate anybody who does biblical studies with any level of rigor mm-hmm. uh, or continuance, whatever, to separate that from like the institution of academia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like the the two things you said. You know, the first is that there seems to be a profound ignorance about how the system actually works. Watching it, I was thinking to myself that the people who made this film, it would be like me making a film about what computer engineers do all day, 
Like that would be about like the level of knowledge that I bring (laughs) to knowing like what the average day in the life of the computer engineer is. That's what it feels like they did with this Mm -hmm. movie that like the people who like were crafting this narrative about essentially about an academic. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's our antagonist, but he's like kind of um, he's really, really important to the film and the whole backdrop to the story. It feels all so wrong and and oddly contrived and inaccurate. Yes. But then I was also thinking that in the same breath, it also is led the entire story is led from its very you know, beginning from from its origin, I'm assuming when it was crafted, it's led by a deep mistrust of the academic academic system as well. So I think what I was curious of is this is this pure ignorance, like an embarrassing level of ignorance, or is it also and maybe the two are entangled, a kind of intentional uh, mischaracterization in order to just further advance this like church what the the church's skepticism of the academic system of secular quote secular right higher ed i i absolutely love that framing of the question and i think the answer is both and like you said i think they are intertwined very heavily i think the the lack of knowledge of the academic system is part of the reason there's such a thorough distrust Mm-hmm. So any actual investigation into the system that is academia <laughs> right. would uh, slake some of that mistrust. So that's 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 the main, I think, driving force of this uh, desire to step out and, and deal, handle this text. Um, I think the other reason is I think that 2014, that era, probably 2014 to 2016, is when you really, really get a hard shift away from the generation of Christian culture that we're talking about and enter whatever the current one we're in is. Agreed, yeah. I think if you mark from God's Not Dead, the first movie, because there are four of them, and then the inauguration of Donald Trump, that is the generational shift. The generational shift happens between those things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like talking about any like literary era or anything like that, right? You can't nail it down to a specific date, but you can talk about events that influence that shift. Yeah. And what's unique about this artifact, too, is that it may be one of the first where the youth <laughs> that are being portrayed in the narrative are not are not us. I don't think. Oh, yeah. That- so everything about this film is a either shallow representation, I really like that phrase, or a drastic misrepresentation. <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, This movie feels and I'm going to say this phrase a lot, very exploitative. Every single plot line, except for the main character, like Josh, except for uh, Josh and uh, Radisson, except for Mm -hmm. their like duel in the classroom. Everything else feels super, super exploitative. Mm hmm. So just so everybody's clear, in case, again, you have been lucky enough to have not seen this film, it's a Christian film, officially Christian, not like Walk to Remember Christian. This is actually, I think, the first uh, Pure Flix joint that we ever have, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah. Um, And it's about an 18-year-old, 19-year-old maybe boy who, freshman kid at a college, presumably in Illinois, um, rural college. Oh, Louisiana, I'm sorry, um, who is uh, taking a intro to philosophy course, intro to philosophical thought. And his professor is well known as a kind of atheist tyrant on campus. And he's constantly challenging students who are believers. And um, the kid is told from the very start, you know, don't take this class if you don't like, you know, want to have a really miserable experience as a Christian. He takes it anyway because preach the gospel, right? Um, and on the very, very first day of the class, the the professor says, God is not dead. And in a very weird ritual, he asks everyone to write that on a piece of paper and give it to him and like sign their name and like some kind of weird informal contract with him. It's all very strange. And basically from there, we just morph into this whole thing where Josh, this 19-year-old, 
is debating and puts God on trial, debating the atheist professor at the end of, I think the it was like 20 minutes at the end of every class period or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so it follows that debate and it follows this like really, really despicable and unlikable atheist professor. And then Nick will get into this. It has a couple subplots of like different weird things going on but the heart of the film is about this boy who stands up to his atheist professor when most people talk about this movie they are referring to that plot line and and it's going to be the plot line that we focus on because and i mean this with all the severity i can possibly muster nothing else fucking matters (laughs) right like none of it matters to the movie there's no reason for us to invest in anything or anyone the other stuff was so randomized and silly that I truly legitimately didn't even remember it. Like I, I it felt like they shot the main plot line with Josh and Professor Radisson, Josh mm-hmm. Wheaton, which why would you name your character something so close to a very famous person? And then <laughs> I Professor Jeffrey Radisson, who is played by Hercules, Kevin Sorbo. Um, it's <laughs> hilarious to me that the worst depiction of Hercules, the ultimate meathead, is now playing this PhD tenured philosophy professor, possibly the most unbelievable part of the whole movie. Um, but it felt like they wrote that plot line mm-hmm. and then didn't have enough movie to meet whatever the minimum for like feature length is. I think it's 90 minutes. Yep. Yeah. And they were like, Hey, did you ever see, you know, like Love Actually, how they have like all these different people who are vaguely <laughs> related to the protagonist and and we care about their storylines? Like, and then they did that poorly. With much less sex and much less British accents. Well, yeah, and I'm not trying to make a direct comparison to Love Actually. No, Emma, should I keep, I'm a big Love Actually fan, so I could go on and on. There's no Emma Thompson in this, Nick. It's not the same I thing. I mean, there's a lot of movies that suffer from a lack of Emma Thompson. And, truth. <laughs> Very and true. There's a lot of people who I would love to have seen do this movie instead. Very true. Very true. Uh, they were outside of the budget, though. Because this takes place in a philosophy class, and because Professor Radisson actively invokes this i think it's important to talk about the philosophical background of the phrase god is dead i am not going to unlike the people who wrote this movie pretend (laughs) that i am an expert in philosophy Mm -hmm. i'm not i love it i enjoy reading philosophy i was three credits away from being a double major in philosophy in undergrad which at this point in my career is basically meaningless but i'm not an expert in philosophy So instead, I'm going to tell you what Nietzsche actually said (laughs) and just give like a quick flash. Here's the context of what he's discussing. So I'm quoting from Nietzsche's book, The Gay Science, which is where this actually and originally comes from. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? Was it holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our own knives? Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed and... Whoever is born after us for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. That's not the same thing that they are railing against on any level. If not you notice, at all. Almost a regretful tone to what Nietzsche is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he's very much not like, man, I wish I could believe in Jesus. Like, that's not what he's doing. Yeah. But he's discussing this idea of God, of heaven, of faith as a coping tool mm-hmm. in our lives. Right? Yeah. And, he, and like so many philosophers, he's seeing religion as something that keeps the social contract intact. Right. He's seeing that mm. as without God, the basic belief system of like a civilized society is in jeopardy because that's what it had been prior built on for ages right so it wasn't good it wasn't perfect 
Right. It wasn't the best tool, but it was the tool we've used for so long that now right. that the modern era is here and we have to use a tool other than superstition, than religious speculation, there's a danger. There's something like unstable, something shaken. As access to education and knowledge escalates, our explanatory tools, he calls them true world tools, right? Like the heaven, the spiritual world is a true world and this world is not the true world, right? The true world tools of explanation don't function the same way. So clinging to one of these true world theories or an explanatory model that serves to truncate our interaction with the world, right? To, to you know, the, the thought terminating cliches of the world, they serve only to alienate us from opportunities for growth and for education, mm-hmm. right? He says these moments when our model of understanding the world fails actually should lead us to a place of growth, of education, of saying, oh, right, this doesn't work because, you know, God's not punishing me because I'm sick. I just caught some germs, right? Like, w- you now need to learn a new thing because your explanatory model doesn't work. So when he's saying God is dead, he's lamenting a transition from one set of tools to another. Mm-hmm. None of this is what is happening in this movie. <laughs> yeah. In fact, very ironically, Nietzsche says when your tool ceases to function, a good whole person doesn't seek to stand steadfast by the ineffective tool and instead uses that opportunity to grow and develop further. But the entire function of this movie is, no, my tool works. The best of all the bestest tools, I promise and will never change my mind. Right? (laughs) Right. That's a very ineffective crash course on Nietzsche from someone who doesn't know as well. Listen to a lot of other philosophers. There's actually a really great podcast I will link in our show notes that uh, has a few episodes on Nietzsche in a row that do a much better job of explaining than I can. So I'll point you guys in that if if that's something you're interested in. The last preparatory note before we get into the text is there was a hundred million dollar lawsuit over this movie. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that until I was doing some some investigation. Basically, Kelly Kohlberg claims that she developed a story inspired by her 2006 autobiography, Finding God Beyond Harvard, The Quest for Veritas. And it's some like anti-intellectualist it might be worth it to do this text at some point yeah that'd be um, fun but basically she pitched a movie based on this autobiography that she wrote of her experiences at harvard having her faith confronted this way and confronting mm-hmm. atheists this way and that person that she pitched the idea to is one of the producers of god's not dead oh okay So there's a really interesting like pipeline that you can see of her presenting her ideas to influential people, them outright rejecting her ideas, (laughs) and then using her exact model to build the core of this story. The movie opens with a montage with Josh and his girlfriend, very mechanically going through the we are walking and we are in a relationship and (laughs) we see sort of like the other side characters uh getting ready for their day Mm -hmm. any any like opening thoughts on that montage or like when was the first like what's this opening impression that we get well i mean i texted you and said oh uh a boy who was wearing a newsboy shirt walking around with his barbie girlfriend they don't kiss they only hug Rough Side start hug. already. Side, Side hug. Rough hug start already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole beginning scene is just kind of weird. The like registering for classes on the lawn of the campus. Okay. Yes. What? <laughs> okay. This is the first moment where we see, oh, you don't know how college works. Right. Right. There's like apparently registrar set up a pop up tent in the quad of this school. Run by students? Run by students? Yeah, this kid looks his age. Yeah. He asks him exactly one question. There's no line. Mm-hmm. Josh just walks up to this kid and the guy says to him, great, what's your, uh, what is it, humanities elective, right? Yeah. That's not the kind of thing you do freshman year. It's very odd because he 
you know, immediately has that conversation with this like pop up registrar. And then the student's response is also like to look at him to see his cross and to say, you probably shouldn't take this class because this guy is going to eat you alive. Think like Roman Colosseum. Does he actually say like lions? No, he doesn't say lions. No, he does. Okay. (laughs) He says, think Roman Colosseum, lions prowling to eat you. Clever guys. Yeah. So that means that this professor's reputation as someone who hates Christians is that... Like that the first person he talks to knows this about this professor. Yeah. Is it's just like, oh my God. Absolutely. And so he's basically like, listen, Josh, you and your cross, it's not a good environment for you. He's gonna eat you alive. And Josh is like, challenge accepted. But the guy says, take this class with another professor. Right. Or pick a different class. Right. And Josh is stubborn from the word go. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I get it. You want to take a class, even if the professor has a reputation. I think we've all been there. You know, you go into that class and you do what you can. But mm-hmm. like, how does this guy get tenure with that kind of reputation on campus either? I know. That's what I was wondering as well. Like, wow, like students really hate him. And then he's like, it's sitting in an office that looks like a presidential suite. Yeah, that's For a real. whole other mischaracterization of academia it's far more likely this guy is like in a little hole in the wall office in a small philosophy department in like Mm -hmm. a rundown humanities building every single adjunct position except for maybe one i didn't have an office there was a like cubicle cluster and i shared the desk at that cubicle cluster with three other adjuncts yeah. And I get it. He's not an adjunct. He's presumably tenured. He's like a staple part of what seems like a pretty active philosophy department, because when he has all his colleagues over who are, quote, all from the philosophy department, there's like right. 10 people there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. They they again, they must still have a really robust philosophy really ro- major robust philosophy major so then the scene cuts pretty fast then to his very first day of being in class yeah and when we tell you that it is as bad as what the student said it would be we're not kidding it's worse it's so bad it's yeah worse. yeah it's so bad before we jump into the first day of class i think there's a lot of things that are really important for us to get there i just want to talk about some of the other like morning routines we see from these characters oh yeah so sure. the other three characters that are like notable is actually we find out uh, later that one of them is Professor Radisson's girlfriend. Girlfriend who was a student that he had and it was an inappropriate relationship. He said he he says explicitly to her face that he waited for her midterm grade to see if she was worth dating. Yeah. You can't only be an atheist. You also have to be a sexual predator. (laughs) And a diagnosable narcissist. And a very, and I don't throw that word around loosely, but a narcissist. Yes, absolutely. No, no, I mean, I mean, textbook narcissist. We're not editorializing. But anyway, so we find out that one of them is is his girlfriend. Right. Uh, Another person, she's pitched as a journalist. She writes a blog. To be fair, blogging was bigger in 2014. It wasn't that much bigger. (laughs) It was bigger, though. (laughs) I don't know, says the podcaster. (laughs) But she basically has an internet content job. That's it. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's dating a guy who is another diagnosable narcissist. Yeah, Uh, all the women in this movie have extremely unhealthy relationships with men. Yes. Yes, they either do because they are too much like too assertive too controlling or because Mm -hmm. they are abused abused yeah Yeah. we see her power goes out so her alarm doesn't go off we eventually find out that she has cancer Uh, like again it's exploitative right like her whole progress in this movie is i was a leftist and now i have cancer but now i love jesus so it's fine and we get like some really stupid shit like her power goes out to love Jesus some more. Her car was broken into it and her GPS, which was separate from her phone. God, remember those days was stolen. And you get this real Jesus should have been your co-pilot vibe from the camera. Mm-hmm. And her bumper stickers say, I wrote these down because it was just too much. American humanist meat is murder. And I heart evolution. I heard somebody make a joke about that. And they're like, what does that mean? I break for fossils. 
I thought that was a great joke. Lo- love my girl's uh, vegetarian bumper sticker. But there is also something throughout the film about, and I maybe I'm breathing more into this, but definitely a kind of like anti-career lens. You mm-hmm. know, like the people in the film who care really deeply about their careers are all extremely power hungry and gross individuals. Probably she's the least bad of like the yeah. three big three people who are, you she's know. She's not good at her job, but no. she's not evil. Like that poor woman just gets thrown around, for lack of a better phrase. And I hate to say that because of our other side character, Muslim daughter. Right. And I I do know her name is Aisha, but my gosh, she doesn't serve any purpose as a named character, except to be Muslim daughter who is physically abused by her father. Again, this is another example of how much they don't understand anything. Right. Her dad is constantly fixing her hijab, but she's wearing basically a form-fitting, transparent tank top. (laughs) That's not how that works. (laughs) Like, you don't understand the function of any part of this And then she gets some asshole who walks up to her and she's like, you're real pretty. I wish you didn't have to wear the hijab. Either you are a first time lesbian who does not quite understand how to sapphically flirt. Uh Uh-huh. Or you're just an asshole. It goes back to the um, it's everything is led by a lot of like bad faith. The the representation Mm -hmm. of people. It's like it's like the worst versions of all types of people, except for Josh, except for Josh. Yeah. Like if you are a girlfriend, if you are a professor, if you are someone who works in the media, if you're a businessman, you're the bad version of all those things. Right. Right. Uh, Like, for example, sticking with with Aisha's dad, I will eat my hat if the casting call did not say angry terrorist type. Yeah. 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 Like that poor man and the like xenophobic racist bullshit that they put him through. Mm -hmm. And really every POC character, Mm -hmm. right? The Chinese character goes up to registration. They look at PRC. What does that mean? And he's like, (laughs) the People's Republic of China? Really? I was like, or the, um, the black. You're joking. No, always serious. That he says that I'm not I'm not editorializing that line. He says, no joking, always serious. Are you kidding me? Or the black kid on yes. the first okay. day of that class child was a hate crime. That <laughs> character was a hate. OK, w- this this brings us to the class. Yeah. OK, so go okay. ahead. Say it really fast. The kid <laughs> in the first class, <laughs> Professor Radisson, we'll, we'll get to the, the hate crime kid. I'll point him out when he comes up. But we get okay. to the first day of. Philosophy 150, Introduction to Philosophical Thought. They do get the bullshit naming of classes correct. They do. They do. He says some bullshit stuff about this is a university and I expect university style work. And if you don't if you don't want to give me that, then get out. And this one dude like dips out of class. And I'm like, no, no one does that. Oh, my gosh. I know. I thought the same exact thing that professors will like make a joke. Like if you can't handle blah, 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 you should probably leave. Listeners, we cannot stress this enough. No one does that. No one gets up. If someone did, I would like be impressed. Like, yes, but no one does that. If anything, they just quietly drop the class. They don't come back. They don't come back next class. Ridiculous. And, you know, and the professor, he gives this like smirky little like (laughs) there's always one. And it's like, there's not, though. There's not. There's never one. Hated it. So then he begins Intro to philosophical thought with a list of thinkers. I'm going to list these thinkers using just casual pronunciations of their names. But oh my God, the way he chews up the pronunciations of these people's names is like, dear God. He writes on the board. Well, he has written already on the board. Mm -hmm. This is the list. I wrote down the entire list because I'm this person. Foucault. Fauerbach, Brecht, Nietzsche, Rand, Santayana, Russell, Diderot, John Stuart Mills, Dawkins, Chomsky, Freud, Hume, and Democritus. So immediately you've got 
postmodern French political pre-Marxist German. You've got Rand who's like political thought, but like through fiction. You you Brecht, Bertolt Brecht. He was a playwright. Like, okay, maybe you can put him in the same category as like a Beckett. And that's at best. So he's got this weird list of people. He's got Dawkins. Yeah, it's so weird. These are the people you choose to bring up. And he asks, what do they have in common? And the one guy, this one guy goes, they're all dead. Right. And this is our hate crime character. Right. He says, they're all dead. And Professor Radisson says, and what's your name? And the only black kid in the classroom says, my name is G-Dog Gerard Trigger. <laughs> Not Trigger, Trigger. We dropped the E-R. My God, that's a hate crime of a name. And he's like, "Okay, G Dog, you're fucking wrong." He's like, "Chomsky's very much alive." <laughs> First of all, Chomsky has never in his entire life been very much alive. I'm pretty sure that man came out of the womb and went through the prime of his life, hanging on by a thread. Fun fact: he's still alive. He's yeah, 95 yeah. years old. He just always looks like he's going to get blown over by a bad wind, though. That's yeah, he's one of those people who's just been like very old for like a long time. But I think, you know, it's so strange because, yes, the the racism there is just it's ridiculous. And you you look back and you're like, OK, this was 2013. Wasn't 1973? Like, probably should know better at this point. Yeah. That list of thinkers, I think I even texted you like live watching it. Yeah. You know, it's just so strange. It's not time bound. It's not location bound. It's not not that it would be gendered, but it's not gendered. It's not a particular way of thinking or a particular model of thought. It's mm -hmm. a collection of contemporary and the past and multiple genres and strains of theory and the, it's strange, especially given that it's supposed to just be like an intro to philosophy course. This isn't like even some kind of broad interdisciplinary course that's like the great thinkers of the world, right? It's, yeah, or it's not like even that. a survey. It's introduction to philosophical thought. That differs from introduction to philosophy in that philosophy is meant to be a, like the, the latter introduction to philosophy is meant to be a survey of different philosophies. Right. Philosophical thought is talking about models of thinking and the the conventions of the field and like expectations if you're going to be a philosophy major like mm -hmm. this is the like and i know it sounds like we're needlessly splitting hairs but this is the kind of shit that academia does yeah i was about to say i know it sounds like we're splitting hairs but keep in mind also the like general gripe that we have here too is like a really crude depict it's really crude depiction of of academia right yeah. People who are watching this who have never been to college or who are very skeptical of college, it's a small thing on the surface, but it's actually, I think it's actually important because mm -hmm. it's an entire mischaracterization of a system's treatment of what is should be a respectable field, you right. know, in right. one's educational journey. And it plays in because it's so broad and because it's so general and just like oddly constructed the course, it it just serves as the perfect vehicle for him to be the kind of character that he is, mm -hmm. which is a character whose teaching is utterly bullshit. Oh, his he's horrible at teaching. This horrible is day teacher. one. And you didn't bring up the syllabus. <laughs> no, I was like, dude, the syllabus. <laughs> like, I 100 percent agree with you. I love the way that you framed that so much better than anything that I had planned. So I'm going to move on to the next thing, which okay. is no one walks into a philosophy course except maybe at a Bible college expecting arguments about the existence of God. That is theology, a separate discipline. Unless you're explicitly bringing up these people who dealt with that and you're explicitly interacting with their texts that deal with that thing, no one is expecting this. No one is walking into this philosophy course thinking, man, I really hope he gives me some solid arguments to get rid of what those Christians have been saying all my life. Like, you brought it up, dude. Mm -hmm. I'm, and that's the other thing. Hey, when was the last time you took a vote on the first day of class about what you were going to cover in your syllabus? Right. But you're you're the instructor. 
-hmm. There's no expectation that you have to convince these kids to be atheists and then deal with the rest of philosophical thought. Mm -hmm. You can change the course around. You control the material. He's tenured, which means he has some sort of administrative power. He gets to design this, even if you want to say like, oh, some schools, you know, have their part timers or their lower level people like they have a prescribed syllabus. That wouldn't be true for him. Mm -hmm. Another horrible depiction of philosophy and I think academia more broadly is his claim that like you are all going to write God's not dead on this piece of paper and it's going to work as a kind of covenant in the class that we are all on the same page, that God is not real and we're going to skip such a silly, petty argument of God's existence. And it's like, you mean skip the argument that like people have been having for centuries and that is still a vital debate and discourse within philosophy and also that goes against the primary tenets of good critical thinking that like we're going to put a huge argument to the side and just agree with one authority figure this is the exact image of academia that the church wants people to believe is just totally pervasive and i'm not saying it doesn't happen but i think by and large this goes against what the average educator would say should be the opposite model of critical thinking, right? I mean, all I could think the entire time was, wow, isn't it horrible when institutions make you sign a doctrinal statement in order to be accepted into the institution? Man, I can't think of anybody who does that Bible college. Yep. Like, what are you, what are you saying is bad here? Mm-hmm. That everyone gets together and signs on the dotted line what they believe, and therefore that is an evil thing? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to start saying that, church people. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's an evil thing, but yeah. I'm also not the one doing it. You right. know, so yeah. no one does that in a class. And on a very practical note, all Josh had to do was walk out of that classroom that exact moment, go over to registrar or admin in some way and say, I got a complaint to raise. Yeah. Class is done. Tenure pulled. Or at the very least, he's on some sort of respite while somebody else, some poor teacher's assistant takes his class. Yeah. That's the other thing. He's got an 80 student class and there's no TA for this tenured professor. There's no way they don't have a cap on his classes or give him five TAs. I like that they also said the the campus pastor tells Josh that there's probably 80 people in that course and probably the majority of them already agree with the professor and they're would never be caught dead in the chapel of the school that they go you're at a rural liberal arts college in louisiana with a, a chaplain and a chapel paid for in their employee predominantly white and you're telling me that the majority of those 80 people weren't at least spiritual or religious and had a faith in God. We're not even talking Christian. Because if you think about it, the professor doesn't even really lead with Christianity. I mean, in the very beginning, I feel Mm -hmm. like it's more Josh that ushers that conversation in. He just uh, he just operates from the like, there is no God, period. You know, that could be true for any, you know, he could be referring to any religion there. Um, Well, again, I mean, again, going back to Nietzsche, He's not in that moment specifically railing against the Abrahamic God of the the Christian Bible. He's just talking about a part. He's using God as a metaphor for spirituality and spiritual explanations. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how much gets glossed over in this conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, How much it's taken for as an assumption. And again, academia is saying, like you said before, the exact opposite of here is the ultimate authority. You will agree with that ultimate authority or else. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the professor loses his fucking mind at one point. Are you saying you're so arrogant that you think Hawkins is wrong? Like, OK, dude, like, calm, calm down, first of all. Second of all, why are you talking about Stephen Hawking, Hawking in a philosophy class? This isn't cosmology. You're in the wrong class. And that's the thing. We talked about this with Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel got a name drop in this one. Uh, And actually, he appears in one of the later God's Not Dead movies. Lee Strobel gets like a cameo. Like literally physically appears? Like he's actually in the movie in one of the later movies. Oh, that's funny. 
Yeah, they actually literally put him on the stand in a That's in a hilarious. Uh, but, you know, Lee Strobel gets named up. But these people don't, the people, these people, and by that I mean the writers of this movie. I'm not talking about all Christians. I'm not painting with two border brush. I'm talking about the people who did this movie. They are discussing cosmology, evolutionary biology, political thought, economic thought, theology in the same breath as this philosophy class. The one thing that doesn't get discussed in this class is philosophy. <laughs> right. Am I am I wrong about that? Because like all like No, it's not wrong. Was... Especially as the film goes on and it starts to literally turn into like a creationism versus evolution yeah. debate. And I'm I'm like, what happened to like philosophy? I mean, I understand there's overlap between all of these things. Yeah. And to some degree, philo- philosophy is about everything. You know, that's kind of the joke of that major, right? Right. But it's because we're in higher ed and we know what a typical philosophy 101 class should and would look like. It's just so silly. It's mm-hmm. so silly. It feels so silly. It's yeah. so silly. And, you know, we, we were talking about this for for other like for actual work <laughs> recently about yeah. like part of the goal of these survey classes is to like the lower level classes is to explain to students how they are to conduct themselves in a specific field. Mm-hmm. and. This student is not doing Josh is not conducting himself and neither is the professor as someone in this field. Yes. All of those things get brought into philosophy tangentially, Mm -hmm. just like being a literature class. You have to necessarily discuss history. You have to necessarily discuss philosophy, you uh, sociology. You have to interact with these things because everything is enmeshed. But Mm -hmm. if I start going off on a particular historical interpretation of an event and change my class from literature focused to historical focused, I've missed something. Mm -hmm. Right. If I take my conversations of feminism, say, in a survey class where we're discussing feminism in regards to literature and I go beyond explaining the historical circumstances that 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 create the movement and help foster it and i just talk about it from a social perspective then i'm missing the unique perspective of my field right and that's all gone here Mm -hmm. Um, and you know pedagogy aside even just the way he literally treats the students like on a human level is so egregious right egregious He's he physically on, assaults Josh in the hallway. He physically assaults Josh. He gets physical with the students. He's hateful, mean, condescending. He is only ever, th- his whole point in anything is always just to kind of uplift himself and his own ego. I mean, it, and it's not even subtle. It's the most ridiculous treatment of students. I was watching it thinking I, that I know tenure is powerful. But I really think like someone like this would be getting called into the dean's office and their employment would probably be questioned. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, this is like really problematic behavior, the way he treats students. Yes. And you and I, again, like we said before, we've got our complaints about academia. And one of them is that sometimes the people who deserve to get their uh, employment questioned don't. Mm-hmm. But we've also been in so many rooms where we were taught exactly what the uh, lines of action are. Should you believe someone broke a rule of conduct or Mm -hmm. broke good behavior or was just an asshole? Yeah. There are so many avenues of accountability in the college that the reason we don't see this more often is because there's such a thorough net and doesn't catch everything. It absolutely doesn't. And we can critique that net and we can talk about that. But that's not the conversation that's had here. And if anything, what this film does is only prove the kind of like Me Too movement of academia, which I don't think is what they were going for, which is that people who do abuse their authority tend to be white, tend to be male, tend to have a lot of academic superiority and respect and are kind of trapped ensnared in this system where they get so much egotism that they start to actually become really ineffective teachers. That is a valid critique of academia, but I also think it's one that the secular world probably would say is suspicious of as well. Or I'm sorry, that 
the church is also suspicious of, yes. you know, um, but interesting that the archetype they chose for this kind of person is like a white male educated man in this like higher up system who is protected supposedly by these institutional has these institutional protections around his job. Um, that's real. And that's awful. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also not sure that they believe that exists. They don't <laughs> so. at all. They don't. Well, again, it comes back to what is the structure of the church that we are taught, right? Yeah. The structure of the, the church is an institution is there is the pastor mm-hmm. who is the, the professor analog. They are not to be questioned. They speak from some place of divinely installed authority. Right. Everyone else comes to them as the fount of knowledge. And if you say you disagree with their favorite text, you're wrong. So you're saying this is a dynamic they're already used to. It's a dynamic they're used to. (laughs) And it's the only dynamic that they can think to paint on this, right? If yeah. you have this vacuum of of knowledge, like you don't know what it looks like in a classroom, what an actual professor is doing, then you're going to just project whatever arch- uh, uh, architecture of leadership that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like, know you kind of stuff going on here mm-hmm. in this structure, even with like Muslim dad, right? Muslim dad's like, look at everybody. They look happy, but they're not. They don't believe in God the right way. That's why we do the things we do, because God, our way to look at God is the right way. And if you do anything different, then I'm going to kick you out of my house because you believe differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's not something a Christian would do. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just so much no you going on. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that is what happens to Aisha, Muslim daughter. She gets caught listening to a Franklin Graham sermon. Oh, my God. And her dad literally physically assaults her. Yeah. And ends with him literally throwing her out of the house. Yep. She then goes to David A.R. White's character, who is the campus pastor, because she goes to this college, but commutes. Which is also weird. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding something, but I will admit it's a little peculiar to me that you have a, a father who's so utterly traditional, right? And then he's like, she's also like actively involved in college. I don't know. It's it was just kind of well, strange. again, yeah. It's it's the it's the hijab with the like trendy t shirt, right? Like yeah, the, I was like, what revealing like her on? arms are revealed and it's form fitting, and mm-hmm. um, as she goes to the pastor and he's like, it's okay. You did the right thing by God. God is proud of you for doing that. And then they never address her situation again. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Did the did the pastor get her a place to sleep? Does she does she have access to food? Did she get medical care? Like, well, you get the impression she marries Josh. Well, right, because then at the end they meet each other at the Newsboys concert, and there's like this little, there's like a meet cute that we end with, kind of flirtatious, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like she looks up to him and he you can tell he thinks she's kind of cute, rightfully so. And then like, yeah, you get this because that's another thing we didn't talk about was that the uh, kind of smaller, even smaller subplot is that Josh has an active has a girlfriend of quite a few years. I think it was like five or six years who breaks up with him because he stands up to the professor, which is all very strange, like her level of caring about this and why it's, it's so like a deal breaker. Because she loses her damn mind about every choice that he makes because she has, and I quote, the next 50 years of their lives planned out. Yeah. She didn't go to her first or second choice college so that she could go to school with him. Yep. Which, oh, honey, never do. Anybody going to school, don't do it for people. Go to the best school you can get into with as little debt as possible. Mm-hmm. don't don't do that so she's like totally ride or die for him mm-hmm. until he and i quote commits academic suicide by tanking a part of one gen ed elective his first semester what what's also strange is that this josh is presumably someone who is an extremely committed christian and yet his girlfriend does not seem to understand at all 
where he is coming from and doesn't really seem to be on the same page spiritually. That's not to say she's not a Christian, but she, I mean, by his standard, she's kind of a shitty one because she's like, just sign the paper, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't, you know? So there's even from like the very start, there's a sense that she's not kind of up to his caliber of of Christianness. Well, she's a controlling (laughs) woman and they are definitionally from the devil. You understand this, Teddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also would tell him. Well, no, I would tell him to drop the class. I wouldn't tell him to write something. Well, he right. believe. And that and that kind of like, like one of my notes that I have written in here is like, what an inane moral conundrum. Just, like, dro- It's an elective dude. Drop it. Take something different. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, who can drop a third of your class sessions for the first two weeks of class? How much material are you missing for that? Oh, you mean like hit like as the a professor, professor, like to right? debate a student, to debate a student. Yeah. yeah. And then and then he. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I get so mad about this whole stupid. Nick's thing. like climbing out of his chair. Like I can't help it. It's it kills me. You're well within the ad drop period. That was what I was trying to get at with it. It only is the first two weeks of class. You're well within the ad drop period. Just drop, drop the, the fucking class. Go to another one. OK, like you're you're he's supposed to be pre-law. Like going pre-law, mm-hmm. which could be a lot of things, a lot of majors. You can take so many other things. It's not in your department. It's not a requirement. Like, move on. But there would be no movie if he dropped the course. So moving forward, how does this debate go? Orly for everyone involved. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, think the, he, the the intended depiction is that he is a freaking debate superstar, mm-hmm. like pulling all the punches, doing all the gotchas. Oh, yeah. He has a couple real like Zingers. gotcha Columbo style yeah. moments. Oh, and yeah, one yeah. more thing. <laughs> Jesus. He even has like catchy slide transitions where like he says something. The professor tries to rebut him and he's like, ah, here's the rebuttal on the next slide. The PowerPoint like, was very impressive, actually. His like little big bang presentation. I was how like, much time does he spend on that fucking presentation? OK, you know, uh, for that, I can't get it, my slides to look that nice. That was impressive. If I was the girlfriend, I mean, that is one point where it seems like the girlfriend's on to something about it being a waste of time, because holy crap, that big bang slideshow. Um, I think my favorite of his little gotchas was like, I can't prove God does exist. But this professor, he can't prove he doesn't. It, that's what I call the Airbud argument. Well, I know. No rule yeah. that a dog can't play basketball. <laughs> I thought of you. I thought of you when you said it. I was like, oh, but the burden of proof, buddy boy. <laughs> I mean, again, this is a great teaching moment. Like I'm thinking as a teacher here, this is a great teachable moment for the professor to say, cool, the idea of proving a negative and the burden of proof in a philosophical argument doesn't work that way. It's on you, man. Yeah. It's on you. You are the one who believes that there is an elephant behind you. I'm saying I don't think there's enough evidence to believe that the elephant is there. And you have to say, don't you smell elephant shit? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you're, the burden of proof is on you because you're working through the affirmative. I like That's- your I like your point about it being a teachable moment, though, because I think what that really hits on is that it's not actually that absurd that like an 18, 19 year old boy would have this level of argumentation. Right. I think mm-hmm. it's like makes total sense. And yep. in some ways, it's like developmentally appropriate for that age group. Yes. Um, what goes wrong here is that the per- is the professor's response, someone who is supposedly, I don't know, maybe in his late 40s, well advanced in his career, a published PhD philosopher, and he's standing there like dumbfounded, like mm-hmm. this is the most interesting thing I've ever heard of in my life. Whereas in reality, even if someone like Josh was saying this stuff in a real college classroom, a professor would be inserting his or her own voice and being like, hey, though, have you considered X, Y and Z or like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just so see his reactions to me. The professor's reactions were the cringiest part. Watching him just be like love struck by this 19 year old boy and his like ability to argue for the existence of God. He looks like he has this face like I have never considered this in my entire life. I I, I read. <laughs> yeah, I read Kevin Sorbo's face the entire time as like 
he's borderline insulted, like, my guys are the best, and you can't say mean things about my people, and shut up, you're saying a thing I can't talk about. There's no, like, real response. One time, he quotes Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. back at, at Josh, and another time, he yells at Josh for having the audacity to say that one of his favorite boys is wrong. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually rebut anything. No. He doesn't actually respond in a teacherly manner. And it's because Josh is so often, or at least what the movie suggests, is like intellectually cornering him. And he's just so like overwhelmed by Josh's arguments that he like can't even respond. Or occasionally when like a student will respond to Josh, like if Josh is doing a kind of call and response or like asking a question or something and a student yeah, you engages. Mean the student who just casually had a paragraph of Dawkins memorized. Right. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, like the professor is like gazing out, like, how is he getting this kind of this deep level of student engagement? And it's like, well, no, well, I can one. imagine that he specifically is baffled by someone getting <laughs> engagement. He Very doesn't fair. Not know how to interact with students. Very fair. Very fair. Yeah. A professor in a vacuum. There's so many ways to handle it. I annoyed the crap out of my partner because every time everything I was like, OK, see, like he's actually misquoting Darwin here. There's like more context to what's happening. And like, OK, well, we actually have evidence that rebuts this point. And, you know, he's traveling away from philosophical argument. Like there's so many things that can be done to actually turn this interaction into a good teachable moment that has nothing to do with changing the student's religion. And the professor has built an entire career and it seems like his entire focus of his class is disproving God and yet is somehow ill-equipped to argue against even the most surface level internet popular talking yeah. points that there are. It's like so unrealistic. Oh, we get we get a John Lennox and a Lee Strobel inside of five minutes. And I'm like, I have heard. John Lennox say that shit a thousand times. Yeah. And it's yeah, I'm I'm no philosopher. Yeah, I'm no philosopher. And I knew every point Josh was making and I could Um, pretty easily spot the fallacies and the, you know, tell you where he's going to go at some point. Yeah, 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 sure. I will say the one the one thing I, I, I agreed with Josh about the one and only thing is he has a gotcha moment in I think it's the last or the second to last class. Where he's like, yeah, you seem really angry at God. How can you be angry at something that doesn't exist? That was a good gotcha moment. It actually made me like think of this because I have never thought that this character, Professor Radisson, is an atheist. Mm -hmm. He's not. Yeah. Right. The whole point is that he's angry at God for killing his mommy. Yeah. It's less so that God doesn't exist and more that God isn't a good God. Right. So there's which actually maybe is, which maybe yields atheism because you're like, this isn't a God worth serving. There's but, actually a word for it. I found out recently. I've been trying oh. to find it. I, I didn't know this, but there's actually a specific word. So there's theists who believe uh-huh. in a deity. There's sure. atheists who do not believe in a deity. And then there's misotheists. Oh, right. Those yeah. who are not the uh, not atheist because they believe there is a God to be angry at. Hmm. But they are not theists because they do not accept the premise and act according to the premise. Yeah. So it's just sort of like this antagonistic position. And I really, truly think that this shows the miscategorization that Christians carry about all atheists and agnostics. Mm -hmm. We're not possibly agnostic or atheist or anything like that. We're all misotheists. Mm -hmm. We're all just... Uh, what's the what's the stupid capitalist phrase? Right. We're all just temporarily dis- temporarily disgraced billionaires. <laughs> right. Right. We're all just temporarily dis- uh, disgraced theists. Mm-hmm. We're just waiting for that car to hit us. Mm-hmm. So we turn into good people for for cancer lady. Right. For the, the journalist lady, she gets diagnosed with cancer and that leads her to literally harass the newsboys. And then they pray for her. And she gets left in their dressing room for later. It's a little weird. A lot to unpack there. Yeah. It's funny because 
this is the thing that happens to everybody, right? Josh talks about how important it is that the students have their freedom of choice, which is ah, so fucking funny that all he wants is to give the students the right to choose. I just cackled that. But he says specifically, they shouldn't be talked out of their belief because of some professor. Okay, but you want them to be talked into a particular belief because of some student. Right. 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 You're, you're not actually arguing for the things you're arguing about. Yeah, you're I mean, in some ways, it's like they create a kind of mirroring effect there between mm-hmm. the two characters, which I don't think they would want to do and do intentionally. No. But like both are advocating for a certain ideology, assuming it is the right one and wanting others to buy in and that being the main goal of their presentations. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Josh's demeanor and kind of affect is much more approachable. But like Josh is talking out of his ass if he truly is saying that he wants people to to genuinely choose. You know, I mean, he wants everybody to be a Christian, just like the professor wants everybody to be an atheist. Yeah. I mean, he's so disingenuous. At the very least, we can say of Radisson, at least he's up front for the most part. Yeah, he's pretty candid. That's for sure. Yeah. So we find out that pretty much everybody has every atheist, quote unquote, in this movie has some reason for being an atheist. Right. The vegan cancer lady is is so because of her own cancer and her own um, her, her boyfriend who breaks up with her because she gets cancer. He's but he's an atheist because he has dementia mom who has a weird moment of lucidity. That was upsetting to me. I was like, come on. That's oh, exploited it. Come on. Yeah, that's pathetic. She like gives him the Jesus sales pitch and says, oh, the reason your life is so great is because sometimes the devil lets sinners have good lives so that they stay in their prison cells. Who are you, by the way? Jeez. So cringy. It's disgusting their treatment of her. Yeah. So you've got this. All of this trauma. There's like two different people that have cancer. Radisson's mom. We find out she had cancer and died while he was young and therefore that's why he hates god radisson's girlfriend breaks up with him because she starts reading her bible more and he's a condescending asshole Mm -hmm. um he like gets on her because she bought wine and then left it in the car there's no way that pompous asshole drinks grocery store wine Yeah, you're right. He's more of like one of those like subscription service people who's like yeah. the top tier, like $60 bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And thinks yeah. like who he is because of that. Right. Yes. Yeah. All these people just have like, oh, man, I'm suffering from the problem of evil. Better go. He was Jesus. Well, um, be, go to a Newsboys concert to be more exact. Well, yeah. So they all converge on this Newsboys concert. He finds out that she goes there because he literally reads a newspaper headline that says, God's not dead. Huge success. And then he's running through the rain to get to his girlfriend. And he because he doesn't have Jesus, he jaywalks Mm -hmm. and gets hit by a car. No, it said walk. It said he could walk. It said he could walk. Yeah. The little green light came on. It was the car that ran a red light. Oh, interesting that they didn't have a redemption arc with all the arbitrary conversion arcs. I'm surprised. I know. I thought that too. It actually, in the end, it ends up being a, a runaway, right? The car drives away. Yeah. The car keeps yeah, driving yeah. as far as I know. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So the professor dies in the pouring rain with pastor Dave, the campus pastor and his African pastor friend, who is another stereotype. Whole other thing. Um, yeah. And he's like, Somebody call an ambulance and then stops caring. And the African pastor goes, all of his ribs are broken and his lungs are filling with blood. There's no hope for him. How do you know that? You looked at him. And the ambulance takes the ambulance takes a very long time and never comes. Never comes. So they convert him in the rain when he starts spewing Bible verses yeah. So he's in this moment of like he's he's mentally foggy. He's in utter pain. And in the final, final moments of his life, he basically accepts Christ. Yeah. The ultimate of Pascal's wagers. The ultimate. <laughs> what have you got to lose? You're lying in the road dying and no one's doing a fucking thing about it. So why not? Right. Right. Um, 
everybody goes to the Newsboys concert. They start singing Surprise, Surprise, God's Not Dead in the like second worship music video we get in this. That song, it really like just gets stuck in a loop in my head. I don't know. I think it's kind of a banger. Like, be better. (laughs) And then they tell everybody at the end of the movie at the concert to text everyone in your contacts that God's not dead. And the atheist guy who just died The pastor picks up his phone and there's a text from the girlfriend that he was running after that says God's not dead. And all I could think is, yeah, well, God's not dead, but you You are. are. Yeah, I will say that listeners that I was laying in bed last night reading and my phone beeps and it's like 1230 at night. And I'm like, who in the world is texting me this late? And I just see a Nick pop up on my home screen. God's not dead. I loved it. <laughs> it brings it brings new meaning to God will make you fishers of men. Fishers P H I S A Yes. And I and I said go into all the world and text the gospel to every creature or something yeah, like that. Uh, go into your contacts and text the gospel to all men. Yeah. 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 There's so and much that's we can talk the movie. About this stupid movie. Yeah, there's yep. so much we can talk. They misquote Dostoevsky. We get the entire amazing line. Do I need to sign something? Yes, I am giving you a car. Like there are some gold that we miss out on by going as fast as we did. But hopefully you sort of got some reasonings as to why this movie is absolutely horrible. Thanks for joining us today on our discussion of God's Not Dead on Oh God, I Forgot About That. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss future conversations, please follow us so you get notifications of upcoming episodes. You can also interact with us between episodes on Instagram and Facebook to make sure you search for us and chat with us in those places. One last thing. We'd be so grateful if you rated the podcast, keeps us visible, and ensures that others hear about us. Thanks for joining us on our journey of remembering. Talk to you soon.